A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening once again to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So Australia have won the 2023 World Cup with a six-wicket win over India at the Narendra Modi Stadium in Ahmedabad. We'll look back at the game itself and we'll hear from a jubilant Australian captain, Pat Cummins. Uh, former Australian spinner Brad Hogg and an old friend of the, of the programme joins us to reflect on Australia's achievement and to look ahead to what next for this Australian side. India head coach Rahul Dravid reflects on where it went wrong for them in Sunday's showpiece and looks ahead to the future uh, and will round up the week's other big stories as Andrew Flintoff lands his first major coaching role after being appointed the new Northern Superchargers head coach. So as always, there's plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Harmy, you did a review with uh, John Norman straight after the World Cup final. You've had a little time now to to think further about it. I can't get away from the fact that uh, what Ricky Ponting said afterwards when he said that uh, they were classic subcontinental conditions and they backfired on India. But a brilliant win for Australia. Yeah, a brilliant win for Australia. And yeah, he's right. I think they did backfire on on India. They've been playing on playing good pitches in... They've got ridiculous batters who can score runs. They've got bowlers who can cover all bases. When you look at the two spin bowlers, you know, they've got the ability to turn the ball both ways. They've got swing and seam. They've got unbelievably accurate bowlers in Shami and Bumrah. And you think, just play them on the biggest road possible. You'll you'll beat them on the on the biggest road possible. You know, a lot was talked about before the semi-final, and people are saying to me, you are what about the pitch and India getting their own way and playing on a used pitch? It's just they can play in a car park and beat anybody the way they're playing. So for me, it was like I said on breakfast on Talk for Breakfast Show a couple of weeks ago, about a week ago, that the, the one thing about the final is going to be let down by the surface. It's like we you have to play the FA Cup final at Wembley Stadium where you're playing a non-league football pitch. You know, you have to play the, the final in the Modi Stadium. They're in the Modi Stadium in Ahmedabad you were going to play on a club pitch. You were not going to play on an, on an absolute belt and service. And, you know, the likes of Lawrence Booth and one or two others voiced that opinion. And 
got banished a little bit, didn't it? They got you know, ridiculed, and and for me, you, you can't you you can't hide away from the fact that the pitch wasn't good enough for te- for for an international World Cup final. But to be fair, it's not just India because you know four years ago, 2019 World Cup, the Lord's pitch wasn't the greatest either. So, and I was consistent saying that then. So, I think it did backfire on India. It did backfire. You know, they won the toss Australia, and it was a great toss to win. I thought it was brave what they did when it, when they said, right, we'll you know we'll chase because we feel as though the ball coming on later on, and you know they didn't bother about the, the midday sun. So and the pressure is, and when it comes to finals, the one thing about Australians they make big decisions. It's hard to say as a proud Englishman, they make big decisions under pressure so so well. They turn up for the finals, turn up for the semi final in key key decisions where it's the right ball to bowl, you know the right shot to play. You know, somebody stands up. Australians have done that for, for 30 or 40 years, and that's why they've won six World Cups. So I think it backfired on India, but Australia are always going to be a tough, tough nut to crack in a in a World Cup final or a big big on the big stage. And I just thought India they didn't bottle it by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they were expecting some of their bigger players with bat or ball to see them over the line. And a lot of people said Travis Head's catch was the turning point of the game when he caught Rohit Sharma. Not for me. You know, the, the little bit of unlucky bounce that got Virat Kohli out, that for me was the turning point of the game because once Virat was out, I didn't think anybody was going to get India to 280. And I think India needed 280 to stand a contest to win the game. I know Australia won comfortably in the end, but 47 for three, 280 was a long, long way away. And I think Virat Kohli was the only man in that middle order on that surface that potentially could get to the 100 that would have got India to 280. The story, anyway, is Travis Head. And I wouldn't describe him as the retiring sort, Harmy, but he's not an in-your-face Aussie. He's actually a really, really top bloke. He was um, extremely modest after the final. He said never in a million years did he imagine that this uh, would happen. But he's now (laughs) player of the match in the World Test Championship final, player of the match in the semi-final against South Africa, where he was brilliant with ball and bat, and now player of the match in the final. It's just incredible. And and Andrew McDonald, Pat Cummins, told us afterwards, came to him. He said, I've had a sleepless night. It was the day before they picked the squad. And Andrew McDonald, the head coach, went to Pat Cummins and said, I haven't slept all night. We've got to have Trav. We've got to keep, we've got to have Trav in the squad. And uh, he said, look, he might not be able to play the first four games. What a call that was. What a massive call. And they sacrificed a second specialist spinner in order to have him in the squad. That's a lot of faith to show in one man and quite the repayment. Yeah, quite the repairment. And with all due respect to Travis Head, he's not exactly Kane Williamson, who New Zealand did that for. And they're saying he's too big of a player not to sort of wait for. Travis Head didn't have the the weight of numbers behind him that Kane did. So you're right, it is a massive call from Andrew MacDonald. And you look at the way the balance of this Australia side was put together. You needed that Smith and Labuschagne in the middle order. I was convinced of that, that by the way, Australia, the dynamics of their group, which was then when, especially when they moved Carey out and they went, well, we've got Inglis in who can hit it. So we need them two in the middle order. So we need two big hitters at the top, three big hitters at the top and two in the middle to balance out either side of Smith and Labuschagne. And I think that worked, that dynamic worked brilliantly well. So to wait on, on head to get fit 
it wasn't just we'll wait for him. They left him in Australia. And that, for me, was the masterstroke, where they got him fit away from the World Cup. And so they couldn't bring him back that little bit too early. They couldn't have the emotion of, we've lost two games. He's nowhere near fit. Send him home and we'll get somebody in. I thought the, the master shot was to leave him in Australia and wait till he was fit to bring him in because not only were a lot of people questioning off the back of a World Test Championship, then the Ashes, then a poor display against South Africa, you're two games into the tournament. You're bottom of the league because you've lost two, two, you lost your first two league games. You would have been quick to go, well, look around the dressing room. We possibly need a change. Adam Zampers, he wasn't bowling very well in the first two games. Right, we need to we need to send Hedy home and we need to get a spinner out here. Even we were talking about Nathan Lyon in them first weeks of the World Cup. So from that point of view, it was great to wait for him. But I think the biggest masterstroke they did was to leave him away from the group. So they didn't they didn't sort of have to make the decision of we're under pressure, let's get him out, let's bring somebody else in. Because Obviously, waiting for him was the right call, as it's been proven. He was brilliant, absolutely fantastic. Not many others could have done that. They needed 240. They needed one of their power players to get them in a position throughout the power play and then into the 20th over for them to to have any chance of getting Smith and Lavish into sort of test match style, get them to a position of limping over the line for 240. They needed one of their big players to stand up and... India didn't really have his number and the way he's played so fearlessly, it was brilliant to watch. I, I, I think that uh, Pat Cummins' captaincy was completely transformed during the course of the World Cup as well. Yeah. Um, I said after they were thrashed by South Africa in their second game, they lost by 134 runs. He was completely predictable and formulaic. I mean, he had a formula and he stuck to it. It was three overs from one end for Stark, three overs for Hazelwood. Then he came on. It was just... So predictable. He didn't attack um, and he became more and more fluid and open to new ideas and flexible as the tournament went on. And I think he he, he went from a pretty ordinary ODI captain at the start of the tournament to a really, really brave one who was prepared to take risks. Uh, before you comment on that, let's actually hear from Cummins. That's huge. That's I think that's the pinnacle of uh, international cricket winning a one-day World Cup, especially over here in India in front of a crowd like this. Yeah, it's been a big year for everyone, but you know our cricket team's been to here in India, Ashes, World Test Championship, and to top it off with this is just just huge. And these are the moments that you'll remember for the rest of your life. So why is it the pinnacle? It's just every international team comes together. You only get a shot at it every four years. Even if you have a ten-year career, you might only get two chances at it. And uh, an ODI World Cup, it's just the rich history, I think. Um, and to come over to a place like India where you know you're, the conditions are so different to back home. It's, it's pretty gruelling, you know, 11 games in whatever it was, five, six weeks. But, yeah, the way the, the group stuck together and got through it and uh, holding the medal, is, that's the pinnacle. Australian captain Pat Cummins. Am I overplaying his captaincy, Harmy? Did you see it transformed during the two months or two years or whatever it was, be, uh, how, however long this tournament's lasted? <laughs> it feels like two years, definitely. Yeah, I did. I, I said to John last night, I, Happily admit it, as a proud Englishman, Pat Cummins has been my favourite cricketer in world cricket for the last four or five years. I think he's the way he plays the game, um, the way he talks about the game. Yeah, he, he just looks like a very, very nice man who, when he's on the field, he throws his heart and soul into everything he's trying to do. And I felt for him in the summer. 
because I think during the summer, I thought, like you've just described his captaincy in 50-over cricket, I think it was the same during the Ashes. I think he, there was times where he looked completely shell-shocked. And I think that was a lot doing by Ben and by England, and he was reactive. But at the end of the day, I think even the best captains in the world would have had passages during the summer where you were having to be reactive. But I think during this World Cup, yes, he's. I think he's learned a lot about himself and learned a lot about how to captain a 50-over team in in the subcontinent, something I don't think he's done a great deal of, of captaincy on. And I think to put the icing on the cake for him is that you know, he's the he's the first fast bowler to captain a World Cup winning team. Many of batters, a lot of you know, two all rounders in Capital and in, in Imran who have captained World Cup winner winning teams, but no fast bowler's ever done it. And that it just shows that yeah, he has got better as the tournament's got on. His team's got better as the tournament's got on. In his ability to use the spin bowler was something that was questioned a lot. I think Adam Zampa, along with Maxwell when he bowled. I think the times he bowled them and how he bowled them and when he bowled them was something that I think Pat Cummins got better in the tournament. And I think that's why he got them in a position to challenge the semi-final and then to go on and win it. So hats off to him. I think he was he was brilliant throughout the yeah, the tournament from a bowler's point of view. And I thought he grew as a captain and as a leader after that. And when you look at the year he's had, we talked about it after the game and me and John, it's you know, he lost his mum during the India series when we were in New Zealand. And then he's gone on World Test Championship, regained the Ashes and won the World Cup. You know, fair play to him. He's he, He's been brilliant. And just in case anybody missed it, um, Travis had became the seventh man to score a World Cup final 100, joining a club, and quite a club it is, of in ascending order. Sir Clive Lloyd, 102. Mahela Jaya-Wardner, Aravinda De Silva, Viv Richards, Ricky Ponting and Adam Gilchrist top of the pile with 149. So quite uh, a club to join the seventh man with 100 in a World Cup final and quite uh, the year for Australia as well. World Test Championship, a World Cup, and they've retained the ashes. 2023 is a year they <laughs> will all remember for a long time. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at the uh, 2023 World Cup. Uh, and don't forget, you can now watch us on YouTube if you're not already doing so. Head over to the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel and just subscribe. I'm delighted to say that we're joined, as promised, at the top of the show by Brad Hogg, who um, has uh, been, no doubt, savouring another moment, another one for Australia. It's a phenomenal record, Hoggy. Um, are, are Australians now swaggering about saying, I told you so, it was never in doubt? Or have they forgotten about the beginning of the tournament? Uh, forgotten about the beginning of the tournament, but uh, look, I, I'm looking at the team, and I think this is probably the best final win that uh, any of the Australian uh, history of uh, wins that we've had. The way that the guys came back, especially after South Africa, where they lost a couple of one days, they lost two one days out the start. We were talking earlier on in the tournament about where uh, Australia losing it, and it was basically Zampa the spinner. We didn't have a spare spinner; he had to stand up. I didn't realise that he was injured at the time, but he had a bit of a bad back, but he got that right. And once he uh, started to fire, all of a sudden Australia uh, started to win a few games and get that momentum going forward. I think if you look at their balance too, they didn't have a fifth bowler, really. They used Maxwell, uh, they used Stoinis when he was available, and then they started to use Head and Marsh at the back end as well. So going in there with four frontline bowlers and a very 
much a part-time bowler. I think they really got their balance right out the back end. And Hoggy, we we sat on on this very show what what feels like about three years ago, but actually it was only six weeks ago when Australia had lost their first two games. We're trying to work out you know what the game plan was. They only had fourteen men out there. Travis Head was at home. Didn't have a second spinner. Even I put a question to you: Should they send for Nathan Lyon because Adam Zampa wasn't working? Was it as simple as what you've just mentioned there? Zampa getting fit, and do you feel Pat Cummins just sort of grew into that fifty-over role as, as Australia captain? Yeah, I, th- I thought Pat Cummins uh, marshaled his troops extremely well, and that, they took a huge risk there not having a spare spinner. I wouldn't have gone with Nathan Lyon when we were discussing that. I probably would have gone with the Kuhneman left armour because if you're going to play two spinners, it would have been against India, especially uh, that you're going to play them twice within the tournament and in a final. And, uh, you know, India were always going to prepare a wicket that's going to suit the home team. I agree that you should be able to do that. You should have an advantage on your home team. It's up to uh, other teams to come over and knock them off their off, off their spot. But Pat Cummins was sensational. Uh, the way that you utilised Lavashane instead of going with Stoinis with an extra all-rounder was just sensational. Uh, I thought that was the masterpiece because when you're in a final, you're under pressure. Uh, finals generally aren't going to go over 300 runs, um, especially on those wickets over there. You need someone who's solid, who can stabilise the innings in the in the middle, and that was Lavashane. So I, I just thought they got the balance right out the back end. And um, losing those first two games, they didn't lose their marbles. Uh, they didn't panic. They just thought, this is our game plan. Let's get the structure right. Actually, going back there, they got rid of Carey and brought Inglis in very early as well. And I thought that was a bit of a rush decision. But obviously, the coach is there, the captain is there. They're seeing the mental aspect of their players as well. And uh, they made those changes early and they stuck to their guns right at the end. And that was just um, an unbelievable performance from Australia. Also fairly unbelievable is the Travis Head story. Um, Pat Cummins was uh, telling the world after the final that Andrew McDonald had uh, had a sleepless night just before the squad was announced. And he went to Pat Cummins and he said, we need Trav. He might not be fit for the first four games, but we need him in the squad. And man of the match in the World Test Championship final in June, man of the match in the World Cup final, semi-final against South Africa, joins a pantheon of greats with a century in the final it is it is it was an extraordinary show of faith and an even more extraordinary payment of that faith from from travis head uh, he's um he's quite the story oh it, it is and uh, when you've got someone of that talent especially in that format that's very aggressive out the top and has had a lot of success and also did well in the world test championship final just gone and the way that his was, uh, career was forming, you know, he was just growing in stature and uh, he was playing the best cricket of his life. So you had to back him in. And a full credit to Andrew McDonald and Cummins for sitting down there and going, right, we've got to take this risk, even though we're missing for four games. You look at a couple of World Cups, uh, 2003 and 2007, we didn't have Darren Lehman for a couple of games. I think there was uh, someone else that was injured in that particular tournament as well. Uh, so we missed them for the first four games. Uh, and then uh, 2007, Andrew Simons was out for the uh, for a couple of games as well. So Australia, when they look at those particular scenarios, they really sum up the value of that particular player and how that player can turn the tournament around out the back end. And uh, that's that's what they thought about Travis Head. They thought he could come in and uh, and be that match winner. And it just paid off. It just shows that you've got to have faith in players that are at the, uh, at the top of their game. Probably last, you know, after the game, me and John Norman talked about the players now that have just won the World Cup. 
seven of them, I think, were involved in 2015, talking about their legacy. And can you, I honestly can't even think of trying to pick an, an Australian all-time greatest 11, especially a World Cup 11, um, because when you, you look and people will say, oh, well, that's disrespectful to the players that are playing now. But I'm thinking, how on earth does someone like David Warner, who is a World Cup superstar, get in and front Adam Gilchrist and Matty Hayden? But I'm thinking about the players that I've played that's going. But one player I said, no matter you know what greats played during your time, Hoggy, and possibly just before, I still think Mitchell Stark needs to find a place because in World Cup semifinals and World Cup finals, Mitchell Stark has constantly stood up. You know, first ball McCollum in the MCG, three for 50 in a World Cup final in India. Mitchell Stark, you know, he has his days where he's, you know, wayward and he's has his hot and cold days. When the World Cup's been on, Mitchell Stark has stood up in both competitions that Australia have won in the last eight years. Oh, definitely. And I, I think if you look at the Australians, the, the way that they prepare, they make sure that they prepare what are the big tournaments, what are the big games that we've got to play. And if you look at Mitchell Stark, he's been prepared preparing his body for Test Cricket, the Ashes series that was uh, that just gone over in England. Then he had a bit of a break. Then he was just starting to get that form just before the World Cup. And as the World Cup went on, he, uh, he was starting to grow his legs again. And he's vital cog of that Australian lineup to uh, whether it's Test Cricket or the short form of the game, the way that he swings the ball and his, and his pace as well. I look, I look at the six World Cups that Australia have won in the past. There is no way that you could leave Mitchell Stark out. He's probably one of the best left-arm uh, fast bowlers that we've we've had. Uh, the only bowler that you think about putting in front of him would be uh, probably Mitchell Johnson with his extra pace. Uh, he's slightly quicker than uh, than Mitchell Stark, but um, I, I still think Mitchell Stark's probably in front of Mitchell Johnson in 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 that regard. And that's no disrespect to Mitchell Johnson. It's just a huge respect for Mitchell Stark. And Hoggy, uh, we were talking just very briefly off air before we uh, started uh, recording. Um, but I would like to know what you think of England. Um, I'd like your perspective because, you know, Harmy's close to the action and, um, and and you're a little bit further away from the action. But there is an Australian in Matthew Mott in charge of England's ODI team. What, what's your perception of what went wrong for them? Yeah, look, uh, at the start of the tournament, I did something with Borea, uh, one of the um, uh, media personalities over in India, and uh, right then and there, I said that England probably uh, won't won't get into the top four at the back end. But my reason back then was simply because they they haven't been playing together as a team for uh, that much over the last year. And uh, I, th- I think they just lacked a bit of a 50-over uh, format uh, time out in the middle. But when I look at it, and as the tournament was going on, I was just thinking of all the talk that you had over in England about the baseball with uh, McCallum leading that test uh, test side, um, having that success coming back into the Ashes series as well. All of a sudden, Matthew Mott's under pressure as coach of the one-day team because they're having that success in the test arena. Um, he's more structured than, uh, than McCallum, so you look at that different type of leadership. But then you also look at Ben Stokes coming out of retirement in one-day international cricket, coming into the team just uh, at, at the World Cup. He didn't play a couple of games. But also the talk about his leadership at test level would have been affecting Butler. Um, trying to stamp the pillars that he wants, the way that his team wants to uh, run in the uh, shorter formats. So for me, it was all about the leadership just being put under pressure with what's been happening in the test arena uh, that I think could have been, played a major factor for England not having that much success in this particular tournament. 
you know, Hoggy, you know, you talk about you know England players, and there's a lot of similarities with this, with the with the the age of the group between Australia and England. England go to the Caribbean with a, a younger squad. Australia baffling our playing in four days' time against against India, but they're looking forward and and, and going and, you know from a, a longer term point of view. Where do you see this great Australian side going? Because there'll be quite a few won't play fifty over cricket like England anymore. Uh, where do you think they'll rank? I'm, I'm thinking one off the top of my head. I mentioned him a little bit earlier in, in a comparison with Gilchrist and, and Hayden, and that's Davy Warner. Does Davy Warner pack in now and just say? doesn't get any better than this and walk off into the sunset. And where do you see the next generation of Australians coming through that are going to play 50 over cricket to what undoubtedly is going to challenge in two years' time in the Champions Trophy, but then in four years' time on the World Cup, they have to defend it in South Africa. Yeah, look, I'm a little bit worried about the depth here in Australia at the present moment because if you look at New South Wales and Victoria, even though they've uh, done reasonably well in the white ball format here, they're just not quite as dominant as what they have been in the past. And uh, that's normally the sign of where Australian cricket is at the moment. Um, so if that, those two teams aren't dominating, uh, generally as, as Australia's in a little bit of trouble. Um, so uh, I, I'm a little bit concerned moving forward. but We've always looked four years in advance for the next World Cup. The Champions Trophy, yes, it's a good tournament to go in and, and try and win. But I, I think Australia now will be looking at it, right, who's going to be there in four years' time? Who might be there in four years' time? How long do we stick with them? And then, right, who are the three or four players that we really need to invest in right now at international level to give them that exposure so that they're ready to take on the challenges of a World Cup in four years' time? So for me, I think you'll see a few changes. I think you'll see that David Warner does retire from one-day international cricket and concentrate on T20 cricket, uh, whether Steve Smith hangs around as well. And then you've got to look at the bowlers as well. You know, you'd like you'd like Mitchell Stark to hang on there for another four years. You'd like Pat Cummins and uh, so forth to hang on for another four years, but you can't rely on all three bowlers. So you've got to make sure that you're giving other opportunities. And I think there's someone like a Lance Morris. There's also a, a, a left armer over here, Johnson, as well that uh, have got have, have got pace. So you've got left armers and right armers there in, in our depth department in the, in the uh, fast bowling department that you've got to give opportunities for. So watch out for those two names that I've just mentioned playing a lot of one-day international cricket moving forward uh, for the team in yellow. Finally, from me, Hoggy, let's do a little bit of myth-busting here. Australians like yep. to believe that, uh, they're, they're, that there's a, an inherited mystical X factor that gives them a divine right to win big moments in big games, and they always credit every win with that's that's the Aussie spirit. That's that's what that yeah, we have. That we win the big moments when they really matter in the really big games, and it's not the first time they haven't been at their best coming into a World Cup. So, so sometimes I think, you know what, you don't have to claim that it's a, a mystical X factor. You were just better. <laughs> your, your bowlers were better. Your batters were better. You scored more runs. You took more wickets. But having said that, there is something, isn't there? There, There is something. Is it the fact that they've got a history of winning and they and they, perhaps a little calmer in those big moments than the opposition? What is it? Break the myth. Yeah, look, sometimes I think it puts a little bit more pressure on you as well. Um, so I, th I think the, this particular team might have been feeling that pressure at the, uh, at the start of the tournament. But if you look out leading into that particular game, 
there was talk about India doctoring the wicket. When I say doctoring a wicket, that's probably the wrong word for it. But there was dry patches on a, on a length for the spinners and uh, looked a little bit uh, quicker in the middle middle patches there. And then you had the 130,000. I think those particular players that were there just wanted to take the game on. They weren't looking at those particular scenarios where um, they, they might have been done wrong and uh, put out a disadvantage. They wanted to take that situation on. And uh, for me, I was just I was just watching the way that um, they went through those pressure situations. I, I think it was about the sixth over uh, when Rohit Sharma started to, to take the game on. I just saw calmness out there. And Pat Cummins went to Maxwell. All of a sudden, I, I just felt that Australia were going to win this game very early on just with the calmness out there. But I, I do want to say um, one thing, you know, you look over the last five years of Australian cricket, probably eight years of Australian cricket, you go back to the Sandpaper Gate and so forth. There's been question marks about the behaviour of Australian players over the, over the last um, few years. This particular tournament is the best I have seen Australian cricket over the last 10 years, the way they conducted themselves on the field, off the field, the way they played hard, but with uh, utmost respect. And playing on foreign conditions in India against India with all the conditions against them with a crowd of 130,000, I just felt that this was probably the best win we've ever had. And the way that they conducted themselves, I, I, I'm just, this is probably one of the proudest moments of an Australian cricketer for me, seeing these guys have success. They were just brilliant in all facets of what cricket's all about. So well done to our Australian team. Very much a team in Pat Cummins' image, isn't it? I mean, uh, yeah. Travis Head, Glenn Maxwell, Pat Cummins, a number of them. They're, they're very unbristly, very un in your face Aussies. I mean, they're actually <laughs> really, oh, they're really good face. blokes. <laughs> yeah, well, look, they're in your face. We've we've had a few Barneys, uh, you know, playing state cricket, but I, I, I'd seen them being in their face. It's just a bit of a stare, probably not as aggressive as uh, what it was back in um, back in our time. But the the other thing last night in this particular game that I noticed was Virat Kohli uh, hit one out to deep point, and David Warner fielded it, threw it back in, and. Coley smiled at him and put the fingers up as though uh, I could have got two there. That's not Vera Coley. Um, you know, he was smiling at David Warner. Normally, Vera Coley's in that ag aggressive mode or in a, in a more concentrated mode. And I just thought, ah, Indy might not be on here. And that was another moment that I thought um, that Australia were on top. And that was probably around about the 15-minute 15, uh, 15 mark. So I just thought Australia were a little bit more composed and a little bit more prepared in the final than what India were. That's uh, the one and only Brad Hogg. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Uh, next up, we'll focus on India and hear from their head coach, Rahul Dravid. Thanks for listening to the following on podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five star review, or you can now tweet us at cricket underscore TS. As well as that, you can now also watch us on YouTube. So for regular cricket insight from the likes of Bumble, Goffey and Harmy, live cricket commentary and exclusive video content that you can't find anywhere else, search for the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel. Time to get back to the show. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. The weight of expectation on India we spoke about throughout the tournament, Harmy. It was absolutely enormous. Massive credit to the Indian team. This was supposed to be the year that they ended their duck. It's been 10 ICC events in a row now that they haven't won and they should be winning. What went wrong? Do you think it was mental or physical? You know what? I just think they were beaten by a better team. I really think they were beaten by a better team. We can we can talk about pressure. These guys don't suffer pressure. You know, they don't suffer pressure. They, they, we've just been in India. You're in India now. I've been in India for three or four weeks. You look at the pressure that these guys are under. They're on the TV, literally. They're the only ones on TV other than Bollywood movie, movie stars. Some of them are even bigger than Bollywood movie stars. You know, they are A-list celebrities in their country. And do you know what? I've really enjoyed watching India because they haven't been in your face, I don't think. They haven't been the sort of arrogance that they potentially could be. They've, I think they've been quite good ambassadors for the game and the tournament. I think all the external stuff, I don't think they've... They've, they've worried about or I think they've played up to. Yes, I think the BCCI have you know, contributed and tried to do their utmost for their team to be in this position, which was the final, and then to go on and win it. But I, I think when it comes down to the final, I just think they were beaten by the better team. You know, Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark bowl fantastically well. Zampa bowl well. India, to be fair, bowl quite well at the start. And then you've got to give Travis Head his, you know, his pat on the back because... While 47 for three and carnage was going in the stands, 120 odd thousand Indians, he held his nerve and he kept playing his big shots. And I, I don't think when you look back at the at the bowling figures, I don't think you could say any one of the New Ze- of the India bowlers had an absolute shocker, which you're expecting before. So for us for Australia to win, you're expecting one of the bowlers to be taken down because they've only got five out and out bowlers. But 
they didn't. I thought they bowled the Jadeja bowled nicely. I mean, I called it bowled nicely. They went for less than five and a half and over, both of them, in the spin bowling department. I just think when you look at it in the big occasion on the big day, Australia had eleven players better played better than than India. And I think you, you have to India have to accept that. I think they've been brilliant throughout the tournament. Some of their players have been in sensational form and contributed to some some brilliant innings, i.e. of the tournament. But unfortunately, when you got to the last hurdle, it's who can stand the pressure, who who can who can perform the best under pressure. And I don't think India cracked under pressure. I just think Australia made the better decisions and they're good at that. They've done it six times. And you can say, yes, it wasn't, it's not this team that's done it six times. But the nation, every time Australia get to a big final, Ricky Ponton said after the game when he said that they were not here to compete, we're here to win a tournament. And for some reason, Australians are very, very good at putting their chest out and going and winning big tournaments. And that it, that's a cultural thing. And I think that is what got them over the line. Sometimes it's a cultural thing. And sometimes they're able to dig a little bit deeper and they talk a lot about wanting it more than the opposition. But sometimes they claim to have this mystical X factor. Um, and yes, it is there sometimes. But, you know, even after games where opponents have stood up to them toe to toe and traded blows on an equal level, and it just comes down to runs and wickets and and cricket skill. You know, it isn't this mysterious inherited ability to win big moments in big tournaments. Uh, but they keep creating the myth by claiming that that's what it is. But anyway, look, Rahul Dravid, as expected, was emotional, but extremely eloquent after what was uh, a pretty emotional defeat. We knew, we we probably, uh, in hindsight, I think we fell about 30, 40 runs short. It's not that we were looking to bat it out. I thought they bowled well through that period. I thought, just felt like the ball was stopping in the afternoon uh, a little bit more than it did uh, in the evening. And not that there was a lot of dew, to be honest, but uh, just felt like the ball came on to the bat a lot better in the evening. Uh, there was that period where I think, uh, you know, um, the ball was sort of stopping. We weren't able to get boundaries. We were rotating the strike, but we weren't able to hit those boundaries. And yeah, there was a conscious effort to try and take the game deep, but we kept losing wickets. You know, we just lost wickets just when we felt that, you know, we, we built a partnership and we can start going. We lost a wicket, you know, we lost Virat and then we lost um, Jaddu and then we lost Rahul. So we just kept losing wickets at sort of like critical intervals and there's probably... Uh, felt that we were about 40 runs short. I mean, I know in the end it looked like they would have chased even 40 runs more. But uh, but at, if we had got to 280, 290 and they were, you know, they were 60 for three, then it might have been a very different game. It's Rahul Dravid, who was uh, a deep thinker and um, very eloquent as a player and remains so as a coach. Do you know what, Harmi? Watching Kale Rahul bat in the middle overs there, he also is a deep thinker on the game. And uh, and is also um, a really eloquent uh, talker about the game. But watching him uh, and watch watching India score just two boundaries between the twelfth and fortieth over, I kept thinking, I hope you got this right, KL, because I it didn't seem to me like he he was freezing on the big occasion. It just seemed to me that he'd made the call. He'd read it as well. You'd have thought that he'd read it as a two thirty pitch the way he was playing, the way he was chewing up dot balls. And it went on and on and on. I kept thinking, I really hope you've got this right. Because either you're going to be hailed as a genius or the man who contributed a lot to losing this final. Yeah, absolutely. And 
if it wasn't for Travis Head, he probably would have gotten it right and it would have been close. But we've seen that during the World T20 as well in Adelaide when you were batting and, and you're going, 170 is nowhere near enough. 170 is nowhere near enough, India. You've got to get 200. And I come back to what I said earlier, that the big turning point wasn't the catch from Travis Head off to get rid of Rohit Sharma. It was a Virat Kohli on that surface against that bowling attack in the in the stadium that they were in in the World Cup final. It, I, I don't think Kiel Rahul, as good as he is, and he's a phenomenal player, I don't think he had the shot-making ability like Virat Kohli to get to 100. I think if Virat Kohli had about the length of time that Kiel Rahul had did, 107 balls, I think Virat Kohli would have got 80, 85, 90, where Kiel Rahul got 60. That, for me, is the, the difference. And I think when you look at this tournament, India have had their big players perform consistently well enough. You look at the the most runs in the tournament, he broke the record. You know, For me, he was a player of the tournament, that Virat Kohli. Rohit Sharma's behind him. They had this way of one, two, and three, being able to take the bulk of the runs and get them off to such a good start, like England did in 2019, and then the rest would, would sort of pick the pieces up. I'm not sure Keir Raul had the, the shot-making ability like Virat Kohli to get his team to 260, 280, which would have been a, you know, a very difficult score to chase. But I think you have to, again, I go back to giving credit to the way Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins, Joss Hazelwood, in that middle period, took the pace off the ball. You know, just bowling slow ball bounces, bowling into the surface. And when you when you look at, you know, Keir Raul, he's not the most powerful man. You know, he's a he's a work, he's more workmanlike. When you haven't got pace on the ball, like you know the way Australia bowl, very very difficult to hit it ten rows back for somebody like Keir Raul. Yes, Maxwell's different. You know, even Travis Head's different. You've seen in the second innings when the slow ball bouncer was being bowled. Yes, it was coming onto the bat a little bit better because the Jew was making it bat, you know sort of skid on a little bit. But the same ball, the same balls that the Australians were bowling, Travis Head's was hitting into the stands. And I think that, for me, is, was the difference. So I think Coley was the only one that could get them to 280, 290, which would have been a, an in, a match within our in-game score. I just think, unfortunately, they've set the, set the, the stall out. 250 could be enough here. We're going to make sure we've got scoreboard pressure on the board. And at 43 for seven, you're looking at Keir Raul's decision to bat the way he did. You're thinking, ooh, this, may, this might just be a masterstroke. It's interesting, Dinesh Kartik, uh, who's a brilliant commentator, isn't he, and, and presenter now. I'm not sure if he's actually retired from playing. He, he probably he probably still is playing. But he said, uh, he reminded everyone just a little bit before the final that um, there was this squad here. That India had a different squad um, winning the gold medal in the Asia Games. And he reckoned that uh, you know there were 50 players, at least, um, good enough to be representing India. You know, they could have three squads playing concurrently and I wonder sometimes actually whether they're spoiled for choice they've got too much depth and the IPL is producing too many options uh, who'd want to be a selector in India <laughs> absolutely absolutely and uh, their selection for me was made better when Hartik Pandya walked off because Hartik Pandya is a phenomenal cricketer bounces the side out very very well but when Pandya was not there and then they were they were thinking of Thakur and then even even to the the fact I was sitting before the game yesterday morning and man, as I'm, I'm hearing and obviously the people I was working with from out in India, that Ashwin was playing. We 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 were under, of the understanding that Ashwin, our Ashwin was going to play inside of Siraj because we were that much worried about the surface. 
and even to the, to the point where some people were obs- the observations were Siraj hasn't even marked his run up out, and Ashwin's getting loads of pats on the back and everything that's gone with it. So sometimes you can have too many good options, but I think the best players that have played for India in this tournament have shown that they probably were the best team in this tournament. Just unfortunately, at the big stage, the big game, the big stage, Australia's players played better. You look at the you look at the stats for like the run scoring. David Warner was the only one in the top six run scorers for for Australia. But if you look at the if you look at the the highest scores of the tournament, you know three of the top five are from Australians. In you know big games, they were out. They were out. Afghanistan at ninety one for seven. Maxwell gets two hundred. That's what I mean. The characters that Australia get to sort of completely you know, change the course of a game or in a big game to stand up is why they are champions. Okay, um, just a reminder that uh, the next World Cup in 2027 will be in South Africa. It's 14 teams, two groups of seven, a Super Six, semi-finals and a final, as it was in 1999 and 2003. Uh, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Right, Harmy, um, it's very, very hard to pick uh, an 11 from a, a World Cup. Um, I, I would like to say immediately that uh, I regret leaving Ratchin Ravindra out of my personal 11. But here goes. We've been asked uh, to to come up with our 11s. I'll go first and you tell me where you, you differ. Uh, the only South African I've got is Quinton de Kock with his 400s, opening the batting and keeping wicket. Rohit Sharma to open alongside him. He's the captain. I've got Travis Head at number three. I hope he doesn't mind, um, but I need him to bat there because I've got Virat Kohli and Daryl Mitchell at four and five. Glenn Maxwell at six, Ravindra Jadeja at seven, Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Mohamed Shami and Jasprit Bumrah. So I've got uh, the four seam options and three spin options and uh, not short of batting. Yours? Yeah, mine's slightly different. I've tried to keep players in the positions that the the major the player the majority of the time that they were in the World Cup. Um, I've got five Indians, two Australians, a Sri Lankan, a New Zealander, South African, and I had to find a place for enough somebody from Afghanistan because I think for me Afghanistan has been the story of the tournament because of the way they've played, um, the smile they've had on their faces and. Who would have thought you could go into a game with full frontline spinners and get away with it against the power of batting that that you have in the world now and finish sixth in the tournament? So I found a place for for somebody from Afghanistan, but my team, Quinton de Kock and Rohit Sharma, I couldn't even though Warner and Head were high up on the run scoring and Travis Head got semi-final and final player of the match awards. I just think de Kock and the way Rohit Sharma's played and captain. They just got it in front of Head and Warner at the top in the one and two. Virat Kohli, for me, was a player of the tournament. He bats at number three. Daryl Mitchell at number four, where he batted. I know you're not a big fan of Daryl Mitchell at number four. For, for New Zealand, and it doesn't look right, he's got to be a number five, but he batted number four for New Zealand. So Daryl Mitchell at four. As Matt Duller uh, is my man from Afghanistan. I thought he batted beautifully for Afghanistan in the middle order. Batted in, uh, in pressurised times. Hit the big shot when he needed to. He bowled nicely as well. Yeah, if I was, if I was, I know we're going to come on to my best mate getting a job in the hundred in it soon. But if I was coaching one of the hundred teams, I'd be tempted to go for As Dullah if I could and get him in as an overseas. He's powerful. He can hit the ball over the rope and he can bowl at 
at sort of 140 as well. So for me, he was number five. And then the rest of it, I think it's self-explanatory. Glenn Maxwell's number six, two hundreds of note, yeah, huge hundreds, hundreds of 44 balls, and then the double hundred, which kept Australia more or less in the tournament. Ravinder Jadeja has been excellent for India at number seven. Jasper Bumra, fantastic for India at number eight. Uh, Dilshan Madhushankar, who ended up with 21 wickets at 25, while things were going horribly wrong for his team in Sri Lanka all around him. So he was as good a left-arm option there was in the tournament with Madhushankar. So Madhushankar, Zampa is my frontline spinner from Australia at number 10, and Mohamed Shami is number 11. So that's Dikok Sharma, Kohli, Mitchell, Asmat Dollar, Maxwell, Jadeja, Bumrah, Madhushankar, Zampa, and Mohamed Shami is my 1-11. to 11. I loved her place for Rachin Ravindra. I thought he was my young player of the tournament. Virat Kohli is my player of the tournament. And the rookie of the tournament just got knocked off the perch because I wanted to give it to Kutsia from South Africa. But Travis Head, the way he performed semi-final and final, just got, for me, the, the rookie of the tournament. And, you know, fair play to him because he was magnificent in Australia. Like we've said so far, they uh, they waited and waited for their man, and boy, did they deliver! Right, that's I think that's sixteen players between us, which is uh, a good way to end because that's how big the squads should be for the next World Cup. Yes, <laughs> at least if not seventeen. Okay, well, in fact, um, neither of us has got Ratchin Ravindra in our squad, so that would give us a squad of seventeen. Well, you mentioned Andrew Flintoff, um, and so that is indeed the next talking point. Uh, he's been appointed the new Northern Superchargers head coach um, for the 2024 edition of the 100. How's he going to fit it in with all his other commitments away from cricket? Yeah, I don't think he's got as much on as what he used to have. I think we all know, obviously, after the accident that he had when he was with filming for, for Top Gear, I think he's come back in. I spent a bit of time with him last summer when our sons play cricket against each other. And we know, I've known Andrew since we were 16, 17 years old. His ability to understand the game is ridiculous. He was the right man to, to be England captain at the time he was given it because Andrew Flintoff's got a great cricket brain, really has. The team that he inherited when he was captain were, were why he didn't have the success. KP, possibly the same when he was captain. They became captains at the right times. Um, and it was as England were going through a transition phase to get to where Andrew Strauss needed to take the job on and go forward. The, the way Andrew talks about the game, the way he sees the game, he was he was always destined for a role is is in leadership because he was a leader in a dressing room. He was a leader on the field, but unfortunately, he was very good at being somebody of, of character. He was the character in the dressing room, and he was always destined to go on and do some stuff in in entertainment and TV. And now he's had that chance and it's, it's, you know, it, it is where it is and I'm sure it'll continue. But his love for the game of cricket will was never, ever not there. And I think because Corey and Rocky get to an age of Corey, what's Rocky 15, Corey's 17, 18 now, he's been coaching his two lads and been around the, the, the sort of junior setups at Lancashire so long in helping his sons develop and seeing other kids develop that... Now he's got some time. Rob Key's getting a chance to do some coaching. He's loved it, and he's back in the dressing room again. And for me, I think it's a natural progression. I think he was talked to at the start of the 100 about going into 
into the into the competition um, as an ambassador. And I think it's just the right fit. I can't believe he's got said that. I can't believe he's gone to Headingley. He got so much stick at Headingley as a Lancastrian playing for England. Even walking out number six for England, there was some some sort of booze and cheers. So I still can't believe when I got asked, a couple of journalists asked me, is he going to go and do Northern Superchargers? You're joking. This must just be a PR stunt to get Manchester to come and get him. But no, he's going to Headingley. I think he'd be brilliant. I really look forward to seeing how he goes. He's got a good side if they all turn up on paper. Now, Ben Stokes, Adil Rashid, you know, Potts, Cars from Durham. He's got a good side. I don't think I don't think their overseas were very good last year. I think they were poor when it comes from, from an overseas point of view last year. And I think that's something they need addressed if they want to be a challenger. But the one thing they'll they'll do, they'll have a good time, they'll enjoy themselves. And I think that's what the hundred's about. Can you create a relaxed environment? to make sure that the lads go out and enjoy themselves in the shortest format of the game that we have. And if he gets Ben Stokes to turn up for him and he gets Adil Rashid to turn up for him and gets some one or two overseas players in of note that can you know, really grasp the game, then I'm sure that feel-good factor Flintoff will, will have them at the top end rather than languishing at the bottom end. OK, Harmi, it's, uh, we're out of time, but uh, the final word this week... On the basis uh, of something that you and I both feel very strongly about is that there should be no impediment whatsoever to anybody playing cricket. It should be a game for everybody at any time, at any age. And as I say, uh, it's a game for everybody. So the final word this week goes to the England men's learning disability team who beat Australia by eight wickets in the Tri-Nation series involving South Africa as well. They beat Australia at the Wanderers in South Africa to to win the Tri-Series. Um, they've had a successful run in that series for uh, a dozen years now. And uh, final word to Daniel Bowser, who was batter and player of the tournament, and Kieran McKinney, who was bowler of the tournament. So good on them. And as I say, cricket's a game for everybody. Cricket is a game for everybody. That Their story tells you, you everything. You know, playing at the Wanderers, is an iconic cricket ground in itself, England versus Australia. And, you know, to go that little bit further, you know, it is a game for everybody. And you see Mohammed Nabi and my push on my my team in the tournament getting Afghanistan in. Mohammed Nabi beating 45 different nations. That tells you it's bigger than one nation, bigger than 10 nations. Mohammed Nabi's telling you that 45 different countries he's beaten in his time in the men's men's learning disability team play in Australia at the Wanderers in South Africa. It tells you the game is loved by everybody around the world. Brilliant. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective once again here on TalkSport 2 with uh, me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast as always from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week. The game moves forward at pace. We'll be previewing England's white ball series against the West Indies, amongst other stories. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. 
It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 